ho, ho, ho. That's right, it's nearly Christmas. This episode of The Big Gym Show is brought to you by Maul and Brawl. Maul and Brawl is a men's skin and beard care range founded by yours truly. It's been tried and tested by me with a smooth, deep scent of dark honey and tobacco. We'll have you smelling musky and back ready to maul and brawl again in no time. You can order the Caveman Pack, which is the shower gel, moisturizer, and beard oil. The Modern Man Pack, which is the shower gel and moisturizer. Or you can be stingy and just buy one off. I'm only messing. Your custom is well received. Whether or not you're mauling in the office or brawling in the streets, Maul and Brawl is for you. Just head to maulandbrawl.com and use the code RUBBYPOD or BIGGYM10 and that'll give you a lovely 10% off. That's maulandbrawl.com with the code RUBBYPOD or BIGGYM10. Maul and Brawl. For men, that's more. Jim is wearing his heels Marching around the town to get some thrills But it's time to go in now and he's big On this episode, I'm joined by a former teammate of mine. I coached the man. Nothing to do with me. It's the great, the wonderful Ben Earl. I showed him lots of whiskey and he shoot it like a mouse. So I am doing this pitch size show. It's called the Big Gym Show. I, don't, I should have never have called it this. I should have called it something less egotistical with it. Do you think, is that a thing as players? We're into it, by the way. Yeah. I do wonder. I haven't really asked. Not that I need feedback from players, but I am seeing you guys as the most important part of rugby. You are the most important part. It's definitely like when we saw Mbappe, it was at one of the games with a couple yeah. of French boys. I was like, that is just... As all, well, it's awesome. Like people that we watch and deify and go, God, he's the best in in his in his class and whatever he's doing. Like, see those guys supporting the game is only going to be good for us. And yeah, the the, the fact that like Javier Bardem, I actually watched him like two days before so in like, cool. No Country for Old Men, and then yeah, he's yeah. there. I'm like, that is. But I'm there awesome. with him, <laughs> and it was crazy. And the thing thing is with it, I, I not once did I second guess myself. Like they gave me, and I say they, so World Rugby, Rugby Past came together yeah, yeah. and they kind of said to me like if you had a blank canvas and the world cup's now like what do you want to do and it's like well you could do a podcast you can do this you can do that and i said let's try and do something that hasn't been done yeah that other sports are doing and formula one the circus that follows exactly, the yeah, formula the, one the, round the starting things so, where so. martin brundle doesn't yeah, know yeah. anyone's names yeah. it's, it's quite hilarious but i just said like i know that there's celebrities and other sports and genres and entertainment industry that love rugby why don't we bring them into our world for the first time? Yeah, yeah. And there was loads of pushback, and it was like we had Rita Ora on the pitch with Taika Waititi for the final, and I could see people. Oh no, what they're doing! I was like, this is gold. This yeah. is like brilliant. Yeah, people love that. I do wonder with the players though. Anyone talking about rugby is a good thing at the moment with us because obviously there's some there's there's still a bit of grey stuff going around financially, but it does feel like since the World Cup, there's a bit more feel good around the sport, a bit more competition. Obviously, the league itself is 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 great in in the bigger picture now you've got a higher concentration of top class players having lost two sadly lost two lost now three teams you know you kind of all the best players are now playing best young english players anyway are playing against each other every week which can only be good like exactly. the fact that you've got juan martin gonzalez starting seven for, for argentina going against tom pearson who's like you know trying to get into the team and then you've got courtney who's played 
however many times for England. Like those three going against each other is just awesome. Like mm, I don't think we celebrate rugby enough. Like someone said to me in the street, "You're just a media hype guy." Like naturally, <laughs> I am. Like I'm, I am a hype guy. But I look at all the other sports, and we talk about NFL, and I'm big into this New Heights podcast where yeah, yeah, the Kelsey yeah. brothers do. Yeah. And the way they talk about their sport and the way that you hear other people interacting, because they've got issues as well, like the same issues yeah, yeah. as rugby. I know they're a much bigger entity, but they love it. Like they, everything's positive. It's high energy. No one's getting slagged. No one's talking about all the bad bits. And there's bad bits of everything. There's bad yeah. bits of life. Like you yeah, can yeah, go yeah. and find it. It's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's probably more prominent than the hype man and the positivity. Yeah. I just don't think we do enough no, in yeah. our sport to just really celebrate that this chaos and this energy and this testosterone fueled violent sport, I just don't feel we're doing it. I feel yeah. it's like we're just apologising or everything's a bit like. Oh, I know. I can't yeah, say. there is definitely a bit of that. I think as well as like we've had a we've had a chat with like uh, Lucy, our CEO, got us in uh, a lot of the young younger guys who they think going to be you know moving forward with the team for the next couple of years and saying like, look, guys, we we want to grow you, we want to grow the club. And I think the first thing we said was actually like we we've got to be willing to put our necks on the line a little bit, and not everything's going to land, not everything's going to be really successful. But like the more content we're producing as a team, as a squad, like being a bit braver with putting stuff out there. I mean, Sari's put that mental video with me and Max and doing that Budweiser advert. Like I didn't I didn't know like if it was going to go any good. Some people hated it, some people loved it, but people are watching it. Like can they have an opinion? And I think that's that's kind of the premise of I think a lot of the younger players now we've got a bit of a burden you know trying to almost make the sport trendy again in the sense that we've got to get ourselves out there we've got to be doing some some pretty crazy stuff because the sport itself is inherently nuts anyway like mm. it's as gladiatorial as it gets nowadays isn't it so I think we've got to be we've got to be brave and, and do probably do a bit more than maybe some who have who have, who are going or have gone in the, in the past yeah that's wicked that Lucy Ray is doing that I've had conversations with Lucy and as I say I've been kind of putting myself out there yeah, exactly. for the last seven years and I think we can now see real value with you youngsters coming through you young lads that you see that value because it isn't just all about the team now and as maybe difficult it is as a player to say that as an individual but you have to build your own brand which then builds the brand of the team that Ben exactly, Earl or yeah. Farrell or Atoji these big names now in English rugby which then grows the game like I know it's it's quite an easy yeah. thing to say but you young lads are now putting yourselves out definitely. there it's great that you see value in that definitely I think I think like I think the, the what sums it up for me is, is the best is the fact that like Saracens have the most followers I think still do maybe or second most in the league there's no coincidence that we have probably the two most marketable players in the league in Owen and Owen and Marrow so you know some people probably follow Marrow and then in you know by association follow Saracens so that's you know if we can get every player gets a thousand people doing that all of a sudden that's you know that's a lot of that's a lot of traction on on saracens a lot of traction individually so that's kind of where i think we've got to go to yeah because everyone speaks about this oh like need to grow the game uh, like need to showcase the characters everyone says about this i don't necessarily think it's like you need to showcase the characters like you need to be a character you need to be funny yeah, you need exactly. to be charismatic i think you can just be yourself like as in we have a sport of the, the greatest athletes walking yeah. the planet one of the most difficult games to play it's a difficult game to consume as a fan sometimes because of the laws but the athleticism and the stuff that goes in week in week mm. out to get the output on the pitch that's selling in itself I, I saw something with Ellis Jenkins the Cardiff back yeah. he was my oh, that was up. brilliant wasn't it yeah, I love that a little thing yeah. like that was so cool that interaction of a mm. current athlete 
an international willing to willing to have everything he said on a pitch mic'd up. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's golden. And again, exactly. So if someone asked me to do that right now, I I probably have a bit of hesitation. But that's the kind of stuff we exactly should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, maybe we won't be as forthcoming with stuff like that because. You know, there is quite a lot of feedback flying around when you do stuff like that in rugby at the moment. But yeah, we've definitely got to be a bit braver. Yeah, that's great that you are receptive to that. What's the general consensus then like, as, a, as a group? And we're diving straight into it because it's kind of mixed. Like you listen to people like you speak, chatting to Lucy Ray, chatting to the Natal Sharks, Chief of yeah. Brand Officer about what they can do. And like, I'm having these conversations because I've kind of done it on a whim and yeah. winging it. But what are the conversations like internally with the lads? Because you mentioned like Faz and Marrow, and you look at the England team, they're quite closed off. Ireland's exactly the same. Like we had Andrew Porter on the rugby pod, but apart from that, you don't really get access. What's the general consensus of rugby players and athletes? Is it a bit old school and new school? Like, is it spoken about? Is it a thing? Or is it kind of just organically you feel potentially going to come I think. Out? I think there's two sides to it. So I think a, a really good example of it done well is is the England O2 inside line. Like I think I, like even I enjoy watching that, and mm. I'm I'm involved in the camps because I see even stuff that I'm not I'm not privy to. Um, and I think that kind of access is is brilliant. I think what we as players need to understand as well is that like when people are filming, they're not out to get us. They're not out to they're not out to catch us out and say something. Oh, because we, you know we said something about an opposition player. We you know they caught us saying something about a, a, another another person who's not in the camp. Everyone wants to create the best content and sometimes the best content, yeah, there is some controversial moments and, you know, but at the end of the day, as long as we keep editorial, you know, as long as we keep the rights of what of what's going out, boys are going to be a lot more forthcoming as well. And I think there has been times in the past where, you know, maybe people have been stung and a bit more hesitant, like hesitant to do that stuff. But, you know, as long as we're, as long as we're all open and saying, look, we all want to get the best content out there. What the be- what it, what makes the best content, the best, the people, the stuff people don't see, you know, everyone watches a game of rugby, everyone watches a bit of warm up. They don't see the meetings. They don't see us getting physio. They don't see us, you know, having unit sessions where, you know, we're mauling and scrumming. Like people just don't see that because, well, because there isn't any of that out there really. So that's the stuff that we need to be pushing a bit more and behind the scenes stuff always sells a bit better, I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think like now more than ever, and we've seen this stuff with Faz, the scrutiny that you players, especially English players, mm-hmm. are under now is higher than it's ever been. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the reason behind that, but it must be really interesting as a young man coming to that situation, you go into a World Cup, biggest stage of any player's career, most viewed World Cup in history, you make a semi-final... Yeah, you're under this kind of weird scrutiny as a team. I know we're diving straight into yeah. it, but maybe that it's almost like we. The irony is, you probably don't want to say anything, or you've got the lads don't want to do anything because you're getting fucking rinsed by the media on one hand. Yet you're being asked to put yourself out there into mm. the media on the other. Like how not tough has it been, but like what's that space it's, it's like? It's definitely as an interesting space. It's an interesting 
topic of discussion. I think uh, we had a really interesting meeting with the RPA the other week, um, talking a little bit about you know the the Team England moving forward, and um, there's quite a good bit of interest, I think, to try this Netflix series around the Six Nations or or a coming tour or something. So that'll be really interesting. But I, I think on that note, like, yeah, it was an interesting World Cup in that regard because probably the narrative around the team until the kickoff of the first game was England aren't going to get out of the group, um, which we, you know, we tapped into a fair bit and that was, that was brilliant for us. Obviously we had our backs against the wall a fair bit. We lo- obviously lost Tom Curry in, for the red card in that first game. We didn't have Owen, we didn't have Billy for the bands. Um, and so, you know, we kind of, it kind of freed us up a little bit, like not having that pressure. And then, as you say, we actually exceeded expectations, you know, wrongly or rightly, um, and got to the semi-final and then all of a sudden you know we were kind of free 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 and then that week was a massive like it was like it was like whoa, whoa now there's actual real pressure we obviously played Fiji and that was a pressurised game because you know we lose to them that would be seen as a disaster in the eyes of the public although they're a very very good team and then you get to the semi-final and then there was a lot there was a lot going on I remember I had a press conference with Joe Marchant on the day before the game and one of the first questions from I had was so the elephant in the room and Dwayne Vermeulen's what, 30 kilograms bigger than you. How do you expect to, to deal with him? And I was like, I was literally, the first thing I said was, I haven't had that question before. Like, <laughs> I've, I've had that the whole of my career, but you know, all of a sudden that's now an issue that hasn't been an issue for however many weeks I've been playing um, in that tournament before. But what, I thought it was what, a really... What, what journalist was it? Was it an English or something? No, it was an English journalist. There you go. Just, it was, man, it's crazy. And I just, I, just, I just think it's really interesting when like, there was no pressure and everyone was loving the team a bit and then we got to South Africa and then everyone was like, that, can we make this uncomfortable? It felt like they were trying to make it quite uncomfortable for us. And then all of a sudden, you know, what, 65 minutes into the game, it felt like, you know, we were going to do it like do a repeat of the, of the 2007 run, you know, where we didn't, st- no one's, no one gave us a chance, but yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a good lesson for us all there. Um, certainly media, certainly us as players, certainly um, the sport as a whole, certainly in, in, in with England about, you know, create a bit of feel good, um, I know things weren't great in the warm-up games, but there was a lot of trust in that group that we were going to get it right by the time the tournament came around. Yeah. Did it feel like the fans weren't behind you? No, it wasn't the fans. I don't think... I, I didn't, never really felt fa- like that the fans weren't backing England. They, they, I think they were all going a little bit reserved, but I def- they were all going. That was the most important thing. And we were hearing them from home as well, which is brilliant. But um, I think it was more the media saying... You know, you're you're reading articles by ex-players, you're reading articles by respected journalists in the sport that were, you know, basically rubbishing individuals uh, as personalities as much as team as the team itself, which is, you know, it's, I think it's always a bit tricky. Um, and yeah, I, did it get ugly at times? I don't think it ever got too ugly, but I think it could have got. It could, it, you know, if results hadn't gone the way it did, it could have got pretty personal. Yeah, and how did you deal with that as players? Well, firstly, we—it's not like we weren't speaking about it. We were saying, we were saying some, st- we were saying some stuff like what was being said. Steve, Steve, in fairness to him, um, was uh, keeps his ear very close to the ground and um, has some people around him that are giving him some some feedback in terms of the reception we're getting as a team. And I think it's important to notice when you when you are getting some of that stuff because you can use it. It's it's not like you can just shut it away and because it could be you know turned into something quite ugly. But you know we used it in. in I think in the right way uh, on the whole. If anything, it made us more stoic in terms of like we're going to st- stick to how we're doing this because we're trusting this is going to work. And and lo and behold, you know, on, until like I say, fifteen minutes left in the semi-final, it, it sort of did work. Yeah, you know, it's not an England rugby thing. It's not 
an Owen Farrell. It's yeah, not yeah. A, a, this player, that player. It's a media thing it with is, sport. I, I look at football and I'm a big fan of football. Watched the Beckham documentary mm. recently. Brilliant. And you forget about what happened with him in Argentina mm. and the fact that he was he went on to captain England and how it all changes. Wayne Rooney's exactly the same. The stuff in the media around racism online with yeah. Marcus Rashford and some yeah. of the players. People like it's, it's rugby. I know it's come to the fore now because of Barnsley. Obviously, recently Owen Farrell was yeah. kind of the big. Feels like a stake in the ground, but it's there's no change to mm. what's happened over years and years of online abuse as long as it's been going. So it's yeah. not. It's a societal issue. It's not a rugby. I definitely. Issue. I, I definitely think so. I think it's it's ninety percent society, but also you know as players, players are victims of their own success. You know, you put you you're as successful as you are. Unfortunately, you do have to open yourself up to to more spotlight, and that that in turn means more criticism. Now, if if it ever goes into or steps into a, a place where you can't go to, you know, racism stuff that's way too personal, you've had that that is out of the order. But you know, on the flip side, by being so successful, you do also open yourself up to 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 criticism, and 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 we we really understand that. It's it's probably when it, it gets too too far that other way, and, and you feel like. This is now too much, and I, you know, and you've and you've heard some perspective, like you touched on there, where people have, you know, been really, really affected by that. that I thought that David Beckham it was really interesting when he said that whole summer for him was almost wasted because mm. he was just, you know, his head was in the sand. He didn't want to know. Pressures as a player now. What, what's it like being a, a professional player at the highest level? We played. Do we? I can't, do we, we play, play I together? Played, I made, played my first game for Sarries with you. There you go. You start against Bristol at home. Oh, was my it? My first Premiership game, and you were in the you were in the row of. Everyone else was playing Para, Cruzo, a few other boys, Billy. I, oh. I came on for Kelly Brown. So it was Kelly Brown, meant to be Kelly Brown's last game. Okay. And someone got injured, I think, in the week of the next game. And I, I thought Kelly, you know, maybe Kelly saying his last game, maybe I might get another game and sort of came up to me and said, we have to, we, we have to play with Kelly because he's... We have to. We have to play Kelly. So I was like, all right, fine. But I coached yeah. you as well. Yeah, you did, did, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, yeah I when we were 18, yeah, 19. That was right. Um, I earmarked yourself. Yeah, that's lit, wait, uh, Nick. Yeah, Nick. Uh, Jack who May. Else? He, he, he Jack May, where's Jack May now? I don't know. Um, again, like you say, the pressures of playing, like some people... Some people love it. Some people don't. He played for a couple of years. He, I thought he was going to be brilliant. And then one day he said, I just don't enjoy it as much as you mm. boys. And and I think that's, again, another brave decision where kids nowadays, well, I say kids, young young adults who come out of school, it's a big jump. It's yeah. a really big sh- shift and it's a bit of a sink or swim kind of thing. And you can, if you can withstand the first three or four years, which is tough, then you then you kind of feel like you, you can go on and, and be successful. Well, with that, the stars need to align right as yeah, well. Exactly. Injuries are a massive thing. Yeah. And yeah. me and Kelly, I mean, Kelly coached as well. And we had very different mindsets on like looking at a player. Yeah. He'd be like talking about players working off the ball and stuff like that. And be like, we went to watch a rugby game, a, a schools game in Colchester. And he's going mad at these kids saying, kick chase. I said, mate, fuck the kick chase. I said, you need to look at like the athlete. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing some of you young lads, I think Max Mainlis. I wasn't yeah. sure whether Max would make it. Like athletically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just—I don't know whether he'll be able to stand the test of physicality. And, and in fairness, you, you were right. And for a, for a few years, he, he mm. struggled, and then you know everyone grows up at different times. I think when about when he was twenty, he started then tearing up trees mm. and training, and everyone was like, "Well, yeah, he did. He's, yeah, he's good." But I athletically profiled himself <laughs> as a small yeah, back yeah, row yeah. to come through. And there was well, they, well, they initially wanted to when I was about seven, sixteen. Uh, they wanted to turn me turn me into a hooker. Of course, they did, and. Uh, 
I I had no interest. So I said, oh, if you if you want to turn me to hooker, I'll probably go somewhere else. If that's all right, or you know, I was interested. I I love rugby league, and I wanted to go. At that point, I was still like maybe in, interested in giving that a go. Really? Um, and that you know, if they turn me into, if they were like, no, no, we, we see you as a hooker, I'd have probably why? Because it happens a lot. Now, Alfie I don't know. I just, the same. Yeah, exactly. I I just I I don't I didn't have much interest in being in that middle of that scrum. If I'm honest, mm. um, and also just think. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot to think about. Um, and I've definitely found that when I play my best, I'm not, if you're thinking, it's almost too late for me. So I, I like being as free as I can, very little responsibility in terms of like set-piece throwing, set-piece scrummaging. There's a lot that goes on the shoulders of Hooker, which which is why you see, which is why someone like Jamie probably took a few years to develop. And then the moment he's developed as, as much mentally as physically, he's just he's just gone on and been unbelievably successful. Mm. Lowest paid position, lowest paid as well. Again, Can you believe it? I, I don't like that. I don't like that, that the fact that they come out and say with those stats. I think that's unhealthy. Oh, crazy. It is very unhealthy. I actually. think it's not. But that that again is a is like a rugby league NFL thing. Like they like saying what positions pay get paid the most and stuff, which I think is interesting. And but within within reason, um, I don't love it that it's been like exposed to the outside world. I see, I think so. all salary should be. Kept out in there. House. No, I oh, think it, I think we should be out, be out there. Do you not think it would just throw? <laughs> well, would, yeah, would, would, yeah, definitely. But but then all of a sudden you get paid badly, and then you all of a sudden someone's messaging you saying, "How can you get paid X and do that?" And that's another. Yeah, very. But true. we go back to what we were just saying there. So yeah. But in terms of the pressures of playing, well, just just overall, yeah. like, is it is it as good as you thought and as good as you hoped? Because you've had a very up and down kind yeah, of start, and definitely. I say that where you were playing some of your best rugby and you weren't in, and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was all this talk about why you weren't in, and then you're in, and all the pressure around playing for England, the stuff around Faz that we yeah. just mentioned. Just what's it like, just in general? Well, firstly, when you first when you first start, you're 18, 19, It's a dream. You you get money in your pocket, and you're playing for playing rugby for a living, and it's it's amazing. Almost ironically, the hard work starts when you start playing regularly, and it's like you're grinding out games. So some of those boys that will have started the beginning of the Premiership season, I think they're on their 10th game on the bounce, maybe even maybe ninth game. And, you know, that their next break as such, force break, will be the Six Nations. So that'll be beginning of February, end of March, end of Jan. So it's not as glamorous as it sounds with that. You're, it, it's from week to... it's You can't really think that far ahead. It's normally week to week and that can be exhausting. And that's probably why you see a lot of team performances go up and down. It's very rare that a team will consistently certainly at this time of the year just keep keep that diagonal trajectory like because to get up each week for a big game big game big game is is, is impossible and you know throw in the pressures of injuries knocks maybe not you're not always paying 100 playing at 100% I mean we would know like you, you rarely play 100% maybe the first preseason game and then you're nursing something and then obviously the reviews like if you at Saris especially if we if we lose a game it's you know at times it's been nothing short of a disaster, isn't it? When we've mm. been there, and yeah, I guess there is a there is a pressure that comes with that, but you've got to you've got to be pretty level, and that's something you probably learn as you go on. The best players I've played with are very level. You know, they look at the bigger picture. So I'll get Courtney Laws. You wouldn't know if he'd won by fifty or lost by a hundred. He's going to be the same guy, and that was that was the first big campaign I'd done with Courtney that World Cup. But I thought that was pretty interesting in terms of the different characters, but how successful you can be by being a bit different. Yeah, he was epic. Well, he's he's epic. He's, he, I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad game. So. No, I would say he's one of the best players of our generation, yeah, of, of my generation. Like I played doubt. against him loads, and he's still going. And then I think almost retiring from England, you're thinking, ah. Oh, 
he's probably on the way out. Like, as in just from the outside yeah. looking in. Uh, he won't. In, uh, yeah, he won't be as good for the Yeah, he won't be as good. The weekend, he, he was. Yeah, he might go and take a check immense. in France and like against you boys, he was. He got a man of the match as well. Yeah, didn't he? Was, he? Oh, he was immense. They were, in fairness, they were immense. I thought yeah. they were brilliant. He, he was phenomenal. Uh, the fact that I've said about being a hype man and keeping things positive, something not negative, but maybe something that'd be really good to talk with you about yeah. and address. I don't know if you saw what Carl Sinclair said about the pressures of like going from international and then playing club rugby mm. and the support not being there. I'll put it out there and I've always said it. I think it's madness the amount of games that you have to play. I think it was mad the amount of games I had to play back to back and how you got to the weekend yeah. was, was crazy and that's a story for another day. I don't know how you come out of a World Cup and I don't know whether you feel it's a blessing in disguise, you'll probably say that it's not, but to come out of a World Cup and all the pressures and everything that we kind of spoken about to then go into a Prem and then mm. go into a Champions Cup and then go straight into a Six yeah. Nations, I don't know how any player sustains performance. I, I just think it's no. impossible to do. As a player like Sinks is, you know, you don't need to say what he says. I don't know if you feel that, but is it just head down and push effectively? Because it's quite an ask, isn't it? But you're injured now. Yeah. Yeah. I, a welcome I, break or not, or, it, you know, if you can still see a silver yeah, lining of being injured. Definitely. I think I'll, I'll divide that answer. I'll divide my answer two parts. I think, firstly, you're definitely right. I think players will have to be managed slightly differently from now on in that, in that regard. And I think this is obviously a bit different year because of the World Cup, obviously, only every four years and whatever. But, you have to be managed and, and we had the enforced week. You had to have a week off in the first four weeks, I think, post the tournament. Um, and that was really useful. But I think as well, we I remember there was one moment you come back. I came back from, from Paris. It was a Sunday. On the Monday, we had the Monday off before training on the Tuesday and sat home and I just couldn't believe that that was it. That was like mm. the World Cup over and then I had to start thinking about pairing. We played Leicester that weekend and, and it was like a pretty... like. Like it took took me back. I was not emotional, but I was just a bit like, can't believe that I've I've done all that and and that's all happened and that has been amazing. But that's just it. Like it's just clean cut. You've ripped the bandaid off and now you're back to back to well club life. And I love the club and I think that's where you've got to find something else that keeps you engaged. That not it doesn't have to be rugby. It can be something at home. So if you've got family, obviously spending time with family for me, I'm I'm I'm. I'm not at that stage in my life yet, but I've got other things that keep me really engaged, you know, that I enjoy doing that I've been able to not do when I was at the World Cup. And, and hopefully, like you say, being injured for the next three, four, five weeks is going to give me an opportunity to, again, reflect so that I'll come back around Christmas so refreshed, so recharged and, and you know, ready to go. Yeah, do you think it's a lot on players? I do, I do. I think, I, I, I don't know why it's different to maybe some players that have done it previously, but it definitely feels like there's a bit more. I think, f firstly, I think the game's a bit harder. Um, I think, as we touched upon earlier, the, the concentration, the quality of the prem premiership is now probably better than ever before. There's not, well, we've, we've showed in our campaign so far, there's no such thing as a guaranteed win. We've had to pretty much scrap our way for every win and, and, and scrap our way, try and scrap away out of every loss. Um, then you obviously go and play in the Champions Cup and, and you're playing against, it may not be the biggest level playing field around um, against teams in France with our teams in South Africa right now, um, which is obviously brilliant, but it's not something you need all the time. But I think, yeah, the, I think the game's probably a little bit harder than it was in terms of being able to plot your way through the season and also the squads are a bit smaller so you know obviously when we were there when we were at Saris the rotation stuff that was going on was brilliant because it was keeping players fresh for games where you you know that you needed to win or you know were important now the game's so intense that you can't really afford to field a, a weaker side so 
you know, you're, you're farming out your best players um, or what is perceived to be your best players every week. And how's training? Because when I was there yeah. and you were a youngster coming through on the Tuesday, intense. you're getting monstered by yourself. Yeah. Stringer, Hayden Stringer. Hayden Stringer, yeah. My goodness, man. Tarzan. Oh, my, Tarzan, yeah. I actually thought he was a good player. He's playing in France now. He, uh, Australia now. He's in Australia. Yeah, he was, he was in France for a it few years. He was a breeze, wasn't he? Yeah. For a bit. But you young lads coming through, I remember Scout Berger, we were laughing our heads off, me and him with reminiscing when we were in in Marseille and had a catch-up and like he was the most chilled out scout burger yeah. which was crazy wasn't it because on the pitch he was, a, he was an animal yeah. and I saw the one moment where Hayden Stringer sat him down on a bag <laughs> and scout burger went back to 2007 yeah. scout yeah. burger and monstered him but the physicality of training yeah. then and the amount of contact we did mm. is there as much now or is it is it's, it... it's a lot more regulated mm, it's okay. a lot more regulated and you know I'm, I again. I remember. I remember these moments. But you know, when we, we'd have lineout sessions, and you wouldn't, you just couldn't quite get the the dominance as the playing team that's going. And one more, one more, one more. They don't do that anymore. It's it's you've got a set number, and that's it. You know, if you don't get it, you got to take the lessons from that and and crack on. But uh, there's certainly that. But you you touch on that, like <laughs> the lads in training. I I always used to think that I like. Obviously, you're doing the best for the team, and. I could understand why I used to get like the shit kicked out of me in training because it was just a disaster. And I, now on the other side, you know, you're, you're hurting after the game. You're three days after a match, and you've got a 21 year old who's dying to be involved and and is preparing the boys best he can. And you just you just don't need it, do you? That, and, that's their cup final. And as it's well, their cup, well, it was my cup final yeah, for, yeah. for three or four years, and it's like, and I can see now why people were getting so annoyed, mm -hmm. and I couldn't really understand it at the time. And again, it's a, it's all about the maturing process, but. That, that I can see that now and and yeah we're, we're managed we're definitely managed better Monday sessions are as light as they get nowadays so you almost really train like one and a half times a week the rest is about knowledge meetings getting the vibe right for the week for the weekend but you, you're right um, those sessions were still a pretty pretty brutal yeah so is there still contact in I'm interested not, to know not as much not as much now just because again the way that we're being represented now by the RPA. They're limiting how much we're going to be able to do, which is great. And and the whole point of training is so that you can perform on the weekend. And you can't perform on the weekend if you're nursing an injury from training. Can yeah. you? So, it's such a hard balance, isn't yeah, it? Because it being is. conditioned, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, Is it is really interesting because... I was a poor tackler, a chop tackler especially. Yeah. I could put my body in there, hit with my tits, I used to say, and that's why I had so many broken ribs. But I would have to constantly work on chop tackle. Yeah. So in order to get better at something, you've got, you've to, work got to work on it. So with that stuff there, and it's interesting because the NFL are the same. They don't tackle. I had a, a guy called Adam Durder, who's the okay. coach of the Dallas Cowboys. They don't even do contact. I was like, you can understand why, but it's almost like once you get into that system, you should know how to tackle. I don't know whether as a specialist tackler yeah. and jackler, how much you actually do in training physically? I don't do much in the actual session. Then I'll do a lot of individual stuff. I think, and I think that's how you, you best, you, you work out as you, as you get older. And I'm sure you had the same, you, you work out what you need and how you manage yourself. And like you say, some people train like they, there's no way they're going to play at the weekend and then they're amazing. And there's some boys that really need to buckle up and, and, and impress in training to, to even think they've got a chance of playing well at the weekend. And I think that's where being as a team, as, as connected as we are, we've been together for a long time. You work out how each player is and you work out what each player needs. So yeah, like I don't, I won't be chop tackling in training, but then afterwards get one of these young lads and get them running at me and, and vice versa. And, 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 you know, I, I remember the sessions I used to do with Skulk and, 
um, you know, watching some of the boys do extras and stuff and training Jackson Ray, for example, like that, those were the points I learned the most because it was one-on-one unadulted question time. And I just think it's important that we as players, certainly those experienced players now give back in that regard as well. Yeah. So you, will you chop tackle like as in one-on-one you'll go and uh, yeah, do the micro the end, skill? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But again, it's on bags and you're landing on pads. So you kind of take a lot of the impact out of it. It's it's more about feeling and getting your body like muscle memory in the right place yeah, and, and jackling kind of the same. Jackling less so because I think no pictures the same, whereas like, quite a lot of the tackles are very similar, but jackling is no pictures kind of the same. So you, you're just kind of going off instinct as much as anything. Yeah, because well, I suppose when you come back from your injury, you'll have to start chop tackling exactly. and get back into yeah, yeah. feeling the contact exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly. It's nice to be able to feel my shoulders again though after yeah. a couple of weeks. <laughs> Tough old sport. It really is. What about in the gym and the conditioning? Because you look at the size now of yeah. you lads, like you're in good shape, you're thick as well, but the weight is obviously important, yeah. right? It's hugely important, but so how many weight sessions will you do in a test week, for example? In a, te- in a test Let's week, go as you, hard do, as it gets. you do two, two big sessions and one power session, which is kind of, you know, obviously you go from a club environment to an international environment and you may like to do some stuff on a Thursday that they don't put on a programme, so it's kind of up to you. But yeah, the main two sessions are the Monday and the Tuesday and mm. they are, like you say, they're, they're pretty heavy, but... This year, for the first time during the World Cup, which I thought was interesting, is we had like prescribed weights, so you, you weren't allowed to like lift heavier than what was on the what was on your program, which I thought was interesting. So mm. obviously, there's an algorithm or a system that um, that build us up. And and Alid Walters, you know, ever sings his praises. He was brilliant in terms of you'd you'd be like Alid, I can lift heavier. Like trust me, trust me, this is going to be good for you. And and you felt going to the game, you felt a million dollars. Not that we haven't been looked after before, but it was a different way of doing it. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and what's the big focus for? athletes now is it power strength is it varying different positions but for think, yeah. in, in the back row where you're in the ultimate position yeah. so for, i think for the back row it's it's a it's a it's a combination of three things so i think it's strength you've got to have a base you'll have a base level of strength and you've got to have the power to obviously you look at all the athletes nowadays in the back row they're freaks of nature and then a big thing that i think is coming in over time is mobility because i think you can you know, you've got the. We're all massive, but then it's about like how mobile are you. How, can you get in these low positions? Can you? How quickly can you get off the floor? And it's about the efficiency of movement. And I think the more mobile you are, the more flexible you are, the more you are able to to manipulate your body in such a way, it r- relieves the stress on on your body. I think mm. speed. That's speed. one of your things. That, well, that, I think the power of stuff kind of buys into that. But okay. yeah, I, I for one would maybe focus a bit more on speed than on the strength because. I'm, I will never be able to bench 190 kilograms because that's just not the kind of athlete I am. What'd you bench? I was 175. I did it okay. yesterday. I did 175, but that hopefully being, hopefully not playing for a bit, I might be able to get it up. But so if you're benching 175 like now when you're injured, so yeah. in, in, when you're playing, when you're it? playing, because you'd be doing 150s, okay. um, 160, and then but then when when I'm not when I'm playing, usually I'll be doing a lot of speed work because that's. You've got to work out what your point of difference is, and mm. that's probably my my thing that maybe I have that maybe others need to work on. Yeah, that is your point of difference. Mm. Speed and power. Mate, you've been class since you've managed to get the jersey. You were left out for a while. I, I actually saw something where you are quite vocal about being left out. You felt like you should have been. I love that. I, I think as a player, you can see where you are in the pecking order. You know what your output is in games you know where you are you were getting man of the match it's not the getting man of the matches because it's from yeah. one commentator yeah, yeah. that gives you that but let's go back a little bit through that like how frustrating is a young man coming through there was almost like this Alex Good 
about a young Ben Earl. Like, is he going to get in or is he just going to be this standout yeah. player in the Prem that everyone's talking about, which will then piss off the coach because everyone's yeah. talking about him. He's getting asked about Ben Earl or why is Alex Good not in? Why is he yeah. not in? It's always like, and there's that sense behind them that's like, you know what? Fuck the media. I ain't picking yeah. Ben Earl. How yeah. was it with Eddie? It just seems like he just didn't like you. Was that the case? Well, I think, I, I, firstly, Eddie gave me my debut. Like, I had an amazing time in first three years of my international career, obviously the big thing was that I never started a game and that was, by the end, that was wearing on me quite a bit and that was, I, wrongly or rightly, I, I don't, I'd never really voiced my concerns but kind of, I think he thought I was happy maybe sitting on the bench and, you know, picking up caps and, and whatever. And then he decided to go a different direction at the end of my time at Bristol and where you were brilliant yeah as well, well. Like yeah, Bristol was probably yeah. your best rugby yeah it was where we were we, and we were playing in a good team and it was a weird time and, and then yeah I came back to Saris and was kind of not really worried about international rugby I wanted to be back at the club and was enjoying it and then like you say like I felt like I was playing well but one wasn't getting picked and, and wasn't wasn't getting spoken to as well which I think was was as much as a frustration if, if I was not getting picked and not being spoken to then you know, then if sorry, if I was getting picked, not getting picked, and being spoken to, why I wasn't, and then I probably could make peace with that. Um, I just wasn't being told anything, and I, and I never really said, I never outwardly said, can't believe I'm not getting picked. I was just saying how disappointed I was. I was, I having played when you play for England, and have it taken away from you, it is gut wrenching, and it kind of you have to reevaluate what your why is playing the sport because you, everyone wants to play for the nation, and yeah, it was really hard. And then to come back, you know, under Steve. Um, in a new new regime was brilliant and, and and my appreciation for playing for England is is sky high I, I love it I think it's it's the pinnacle of anyone's career and, and uh, you know I'm, they're the best memories of my career yeah it looks like you enjoy it especially with the, the whooping and hollering and stuff like that <laughs> which I enjoy and again I might yeah. stick up for you on this one I know what that is I know what that yeah. means in terms of individuals doing that. Do you want to share why you do that? I, I've got a reason yeah. why I used to do it. Yeah, I think I think firstly, I, I, the people I grew up loving, taking inspiration from, all did it. And I thought it was a really crucial part of what Saracens were when we were at our most successful. Um, so I probably took it out of that. But personally, for me, it's a really good way of me keeping myself engaged in games. Um, you know, that rugby is... I think a, a hard game of rugby nowadays is about 37 minutes. There's about 37 minutes of effort and the rest is rest is rest time, ball's not in the play. So, you know, moments like that keep me engaged. If a scrum, we get a scrum penalty. I'm obviously not in the middle of a scrum, so I'm not like blowing out of my arse. I can really get the boys up for this. I can enjoy the victories. And I think on the same side, it's what it can do for the opposition. If an opposition sees me, we've had a long defensive set, we get a turnover and we're celebrating it just shows that we've got so much more in us and we do. And, you know, obviously boys are hands on head, hands on knees on the floor, gasping for air. If I'm showing others that I'm, I'm ready to go, I'm showing the opposition I'm ready to go. That can only be a good thing for the team. And, and I've said to a few people that have asked me about it, I will, I'll continue to do it. And if someone goes to me, Bennett, re I really don't like it. It really off puts me. And that's a player, a, a teammate. I'll stop in a heartbeat then that's fine but until that point I'll continue to do it yeah and that's what I say when people ask about it and it became more glaringly obvious as England were more under yeah. the scrutiny yeah, exactly. of the game yeah. plan and the way that they were playing so celebrating the small wins and that's what I would say I would say as a player it engages you in the moment it almost like energises you yeah. and sometimes you're doing it for yourself it's like mm. a self-talk it's definitely and I used to play like that I used to talk and speak and not that anyone would be listening to it. Mm. I'd be doing it for myself yeah 
and trying to find them small moments. And like for the people that have never been in a scrum, right, and you're pushing to the cow sheds and back, exactly. and someone's trying to push your ass through your mouth and vice versa when yeah. I'm going through a prop, and you get the celebration of yeah, your players coming in. It's a collective. And then on the flip side of that, and you've just been hosing the scrum and you hear everyone yeah, it's, jeering. It's like there's a big, yeah. yeah, there's a psychological... Yeah. Well, a big, a big, a big problem for mine when I was younger and we talk about growing up as a player was like I would be very consistent in games. I'd have like an amazing five minutes and then I wouldn't touch the ball for 10 minutes or I wouldn't make a tackle or my body language would be poor. I just found it was a really good way. I remember speaking to Al about it, Al Sanderson, when he was when he was at Saris, was, you know, it was, we were to find, trying to find ways of keeping me engaged in moments so that I was staying, you know, and switched on. And like you say, it's not it's not for long. It's 37 minutes. I'd, you do two-hour exams at school nowadays, which is just bonkers. So like... You know, it was, and that we came up with that was a way of, of really engaging me. I remember training with a cup with a mic on a couple of times and reviewing what I was saying to others and how I was talking to myself. And and again, that's kind of the result I came up with. So you're micing yourself up as I well. I did when, when Al was when Al was there. We used to mic myself up for training and 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 like listen to what I was saying and um, and obviously like that does make you more outgoing. It does make you want to say it. But then. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Like, I found that I'd get to end of sessions and be like, wow, I felt like I've, I've fully engaged in every moment. Did I make the right decision every time? No, but was I engaged? Yes. Mm. Um, which I, you know, and, and it's probably a, a, a bit of a work on for a lot of young players is because you come from a system where you're a school or club and you're, you're the best player and you don't, you, you can kind of get the ball when you want, make the tackles when you want and, and it goes well. And then you come to a, you're then a small fish in a very big pond, which is professional rugby. You come into Saris and you've got to try and find your, find your niche again. It's a tough, it's a tough lesson to learn. How old are you now, Ben? 25. A lot's happened. It's a long. Yeah. I, I say a lot's happened. You think about your career and, and the ups and downs of being in and out of the England setup. Yeah, the stuff at Saracens, going to Bristol. Yeah. How, how important do you think that Bristol time was to have a break from Saracens with everything that was was going in terms of growing up yeah. in a different environment, seeing the way they do things. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting story because I remember we were. I'd just been picked. I just had my first selection for for England, and uh, we were in. Um, we were in Portugal in Browns and we always used to go there and, and Eddie took us all, all the Saris players into his, his room or his meeting room and we were all sitting in a, around a circle and he's, he was like pointing to all the words, you can stay, you can stay, you can stay. And then he came to me and I was actually the last one. He said, you, you're going to probably going to have to go and play in the premiership. So all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, that, like, you know, like obviously I want to stick around. I love the club. Um, so it came from him? <clears throat> well, he was the one that was saying, you'd have to go but you know if you want to stay then you know then you're kind of it's a roll of roll of the dice whether 
you'll play for England whilst you're there. Um, I then we came back from the Six Nations. And Sorry, but it was just simple as that. <coughs> so you're in a room in Portugal, yeah, and he's just got you, and he's been like, right, you can stay, Billy, yeah, Owen, yeah. Owen, Marrow, Jamie, Jamie, Elliot, and um, and then yeah, then I were was you like, the only one? Uh, I'm trying Max to remember well. now. Max wasn't in the camp at the time. No, yeah, I, I might have been the only one. I can't. Oh, Jack Singleton was there as well. So okay. Jack Singleton was told he'd, he'd have to go as well. Anyway, we we had these meetings and and Brenda Vence was there and, and Mark and Phil, and I'd come in with a bit of like a pretty thing and I was like, I'm gonna try and say this in the right way, but I, I think it'd be the best for me with my international international aspirations and for my development as a player. That I try and not make it all about playing for England. Anyway, they, in fairness to them, they front footed it and was like, Ben, we feel and we feel you need to go and keep playing the Premiership. You've been brilliant for us, but you know we want you to go as a young player and come back as a as a seasoned professional. And so it was then like, well, what club? What clubs gonna work? And um, a lot of clubs, obviously, having the opportunity to have young players coming through, they, they were quite keen. It, the salary cap stuff, they were it was all gonna go onto Saracen stuff, so it wasn't actually a burden for the club. And there was a few clubs floated around, and and we ended up at Bristol, and then Max ended up, and, and we both went down in the middle of lockdown. That was a, that was our first time, um, and and we loved it. It was very different. The city's brilliant. Love Bristol. Love love the city and the players. Obviously, some of the players we got to play with were amazing. In terms of what it did for me, firstly, it gave me such clarity that I loved Saris. I, I like I, that was the, yeah. that was a club I wanted to be at. Now, obviously, Bristol was amazing. We had amazing memories. We had an amazing team. I I made some mates for life there, but it reaffirmed to me how much I loved being. That was like my club. Um, and actually, funny enough, my first game for Bristol was against Saris, and my first game back at Saris was against Bristol. Mm. So I've had it both ways. And the second thing it did for me is that, like, it taught me how to keep backing up games. Like, when I was playing at Saris just before I left at Bristol, I was starting to get into the team, but, like, not regularly again. I left never, never having played for England. I came back having played 13 times for England and played 40 times for Bristol. And, you know, those 40 games for, for me were were invaluable and I came back you know like like Smalley wanted a bit more of a seasoned professional a bit more of a leader and and yeah it was like I said it was a great it was a great thing for my career and it was great for me that I came back knowing that Saris was my place whereas other people might have come back and said oh I, I did enjoy Bristol like it would be quite good to go back there or another club um so yeah that was probably well that's what Max has done that is what he's done but I don't know you don't know how the timing of contracts and yeah, exactly. stuff like yeah. that his value would have gone up and, definitely yeah what were these like as in semi and Charles Peter I think he was a little bit injured Charles when you were there he, he, a little he, bit. He, like those those boys had a great time they would not train all week and then play <laughs> amazingly at the weekend and it was like well there you go that's why they're that's why they're the best players in the world him Stephen Luatua, um even some some people that I w- you wouldn't think of so like having the opportunity to play with like Dan Thomas was amazing Harry Thacker what an amazing player he's wicked he is and then obviously, you know, like likes of Semi, Luke Morahan, um, Charles Pietal, those guys are just would just do amazing things on the rugby pitch. And and we had a really good team. And that was probably a big regret of of mine still. Um, and you know, obviously the boys that are still there is that that Bristol game against Quinns and what could have been because you know we probably should have won that league that year and and we didn't. And I don't know if it's had an effect on the club, but um, it certainly had. An effect on me for a few 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 weeks after that. Mm. Um, it took a long time to get over that. So Bristol finished top that season, didn't yeah. they? And then it was that Harlequins game that went into yes. extra time, or not? Well, we, we no, you're winning. You're winning. No, it did go by, into extra time though. We were up by. Tw- I think we were up by like twenty five points. Yeah, that Could was even the one. Be less. Yeah. Could even be more. And 
Alex Dombrecht scored just before the stroke of half time and it was like 25-7 and I remember going to the change room and everything you shouldn't hear at 25-7 in a semi-final you heard like I remember you know maybe a few slide comments about Twickenham and get with Twickenham and let's just get this half done boys let's just see it out okay whereas actually you know we were proud of our best when we were attacking games when, mm. we, were, when we had the ball and you know it, the writing was almost on the wall in hindsight and yeah, uh, a big regret of mine. But again, another lesson learned. Like I learned, you know, big games require a commitment from for the full eighty minutes. Um, uh, like, and then coming back to Saris and and playing in semi-finals and finals and being a bit more successful again. It's, a, it's just another lesson that I've learned. Well, it shows you, doesn't it? And history will tell you that you have to be in these semis and finals. You have to lose a final to to yeah, win a final. Exactly. Like you look at Sale against you boys last yeah. year in the Prem. Like Sale will be there or thereabouts yeah. but the thing is for Bristol is they're not there or thereabouts no. are they so them experiences with the same players are no longer there because you're not there yeah. and Semi's not there and Charles Peertown they've had a big kind of not a big turnover but they've had a few turnover yeah, exactly so Saracens why the love of Saracens so much and people will hate on me because I love Saracens yeah. so much people have long memories or short memories however you think back to everything that happened there mm. I can't speak about the place any higher no, yeah. I already do. But as a player that's in it, can you maybe try and contextualise what it is about Saracens that you love so much? I think there's, there's two things. There's the people, um, and everyone talks about Saracens talking about the people and stuff, but the people are magical. They care about the club. They've been at the club for you know as, as long as anyone that Marvel calls must be at the club for 15 years now. Um, and it's very rare to find that in, in modern sport. And the second thing is like, the way that we're looked after as players, the way that the 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 soft touches around the club, the way that we're we're actually looked after, the way that we're respected, the fact that like you can have three different players leading three different meetings in a week, leading huddles, reviewing games by themselves, it's just a magical place to be. And like if you you can't help but get involved, you can't help but learn, you can't help but get better as a player and as a person. And I just think it's it's. It, and it's home for me. It was home. That, that was the thing. My parents loved it. I love it. It was everything that I wanted out of my rugby career, and it's everything that I continue to want with at the club. Yeah, you look at how they treat people after, and I know there's no loyalty in sport, mm. as they say. But I just look at what they do for the players after. I'm looking at Duncan Taylor, one of my good mates yeah. who I played for Scotland with. He's now, he's now the women's coach. He's now the women's coach and head of admin as head well. Of alumni, good, I think, is the, the alumni. Is that what it is? He's sending all these messages. You look at Juan Figolo, Figolo, Figolo. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Scrum like coach. He, Scrum coach. And he comes through and he's coached the women. Uh, Mo Botha's back yeah. at the club do, doing what he's doing. Yeah. I just think... The, and that's just a name three. Like I could give you a list of yeah. well, names. I'm, I'm sure you're going to see, uh, my premonition in 10 years' time is that you're going to see a, a handful of players that are playing for us now as our coaches. And I think that'll mm. be, that would be great. Um, and that you know, would be amazing if that's the case. I think it's a place that you once once you're there, you can't help but get swept up in it, like I say. And, and obviously you've experienced that. And the likes of Scott Britz and Scott Berger, like those guys have come and have stayed friends for life. And Marcello Bosch, you, d you don't get the opportunity to meet these people very often. And Saracen's facilitated that and for that, I'll be eternally grateful. Yeah. You can see Faz going on to coach. Can't he? he already coaches, doesn't well, he? He is our coach. So yeah, he is well, he's one of our he's see, one of I've coaches. heard that there's like a, a, not a shift because when I was there, he was coaching as well, yeah. but it was more kind of in and out. But from everything you hear now, that Owen Farrell was effectively like leading the charge and, Smalley and Mark McCall and 
Kev Sorrell have give, given him the keys to the kingdom. Has he evolved in that space massively now? I think I think a handful of people have. I think you see Mauro, Jamie, um, Owen, Mako, Billy. They all kind of take the mantle on in different areas. Like I, I always think Billy's incredibly good at gauging where we are emotionally as a group. And he talks a lot about that, whereas Jamie's very technical, very this is what needs to happen line-out-wise, this is what needs to happen scrum-wise scrum in relationship with Marrow as well. And then Owen kind of underpins a lot of the stuff that's certainly an attack. He's, he's brilliant. And I mean, honestly, every time there's a team meeting, like you think as a young player, oh, you have to learn so much. I'm I, I know I'm still young, but I'm learning so much in every meeting. Like he's seeing something that I would never look mm. for. And I think that's just, I think that's amazing. And I think that's testament to not only his, his hard work, but the hard work the club ha- do and and the the license they give us as players to to get a hold of it and you know I get I get rung by Adam Powell most weeks even now I'm now I'm not playing at the moment you know what do you what have you seen from X and Y you know what have you seen from the Bulls um, and stuff and and you know you you're thinking about the game in a in a better way you're educating yourself the whole time exactly they just give you that forum to kind of pass opinion they realise yeah. that you lads probably know the feel and understand the game just as much as exactly. they do yeah. and I suppose it's having that. Um, humility to be able to say ring up a 25 year old lad and be like mate you're what not you just think? a 25 year old lad yeah. you're you're an international you, you're seeing stuff that we, we won't catch Yeah, and yeah I think it's great they do that as well as the experienced players for me like Jamie George is one of the best players I've ever played with just a natural leader yeah, as well. And ne- I can't remember last time I saw him make a mistake and anything. Mm. I mean, obviously the the one line, out, line out. I mean, and, and again, do you see him in that when he happens? Like, you can, he's the first one to laugh at himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think he. If if you were to talk about like a true Saracen, I was I do I don't really love that saying, but like he would, he'd be a lot of a lot of stuff from him would be what you what you'd build. Yeah, 100%. If you're building someone that was like what was a Saracen's player, a lot you take a lot of his assets. Yeah. Hopefully people still listen to us because we're going all in on Saracens. <laughs> but so Faz has stepped down. Yeah. So next England captain, there's a few names. Yeah. Out there, Marrow, Jamie, as well. Two Saracens. Would you put your hand up if it came to you? If 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 Steve asked me to do it, I'd I'd love to do it. Um, but would you love to do it with everything that comes with it? You see, he listens to Rob Shaw. You listen to no, Faz. Yeah, I think they. I think again, um, ignorance is bliss. England captain, like it's it's exactly. everything, it's everything you'd, you'd want it to be. Now, the, what comes with the role? There's a lot that comes with it, and uh, and that would have to obviously be be expressed beforehand. But what comes with it? Just on well, that. I think, so, well, what I, do you think as a, as a player that comes with being England captain? I think you're the you're the you're the face of the team. You, if you're very successful, it's obviously probably a great place to be. And and if and if you're not as successful as you should be, probably not a great place to be. And obviously, there's a lot of corporate stuff, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you've got to show up to, a lot of community work, which is obviously brilliant. We love doing that, but you know, I'm sure there's there's a lot to it. And and then just on top of that, you've got to play really well for your nation because um, you're playing for your country. You have got to lead by example as much as anything. And and the best captains I've played under always did that. They always, you know, they some were talkers, some weren't, but they always played well. And yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting time in terms of that captaincy discussion. I think, like you've mentioned, Marrow, Jamie, Ellis Genge, George Ford, all amazing players, amazing leaders in their own right. So it's a in- really interesting conversation and, and I'm just looking forward to seeing who, who gets the nod and, and looking forward to seeing where they can take the team. Yeah, because it is more, isn't it? People will maybe casually think, oh, it's just you leave mm. your team at the weekend. And you but decide if you kick the goal or kick for the corner. Like, Of course, but there is so much more in the world now. Like yeah. we're talking about growing the game, whatever that means. But the front in the media, 
Yeah. You know, like as in it's a thing, isn't it? There's almost like a responsibility now to engage. And maybe this is one thing, Ben, that we can talk about because Steve's not great at that. He'll be the first to say that that isn't the world that he enjoys being in. You know, I've heard that he was he, he was working on stuff like that. He had all his interviews from when he was at Leicester and working on how to engage. Do you think there is a responsibility to do that? Do you think you have to be able to engage with the media, not be charismatic, but almost just give them a little bit to fall in love with you and the team to help make them follow you? Well, I think... I think my experience of of when media's done well and and not done well. I think firstly honesty honesty rules. So I think it's amazing when the England captain has to five minutes after a, a drubbing or mm. or a win has to run into the into the media room and and field questions. Um, and you know I think honesty is always the first place first place and you know and not not be generic. Actually pinpoint what's going on if if there is a problem because the, at the end of the day everyone wants a team to do well but you just sometimes it's a bit painful and and we've all seen and we've all said it like oh you know we're just trying to get better we're just trying to you know we're all about performance at, like oh you know we didn't do this it's obvious like why you know why didn't we do yeah. that and and that's i think probably where i say we've got a responsibility as players to to give a little bit more in terms of the insight of what we're what we as a team are thinking about without obviously giving away the game plan and whatever but yeah i think I think you're right. I think honest, but like I said, honesty, we weren't good enough today is is like automatically endears yourself to the media. The moment you say, yeah, you know, we lost and, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, but come on, give us a bit more. Mm. Um, it is really hard, isn't it? Because yeah. I'd, I'd watch all the press conferences because even if there was a small anecdote that you could take out, and it's my job, right, to, yeah, as yeah. In to, to look at all that stuff. But I just know when I listen to Steve and Faz, I know that you'd get like nothing. It'd be about getting better. And it'd be about week on week, it'd be about that game. And I'm like, but what else can we, I'm trying to think to myself, yeah. like, what else are we looking for? Like, as in, like, do we even need that? I mean, what what are you going to get? And I looked at all the press conferences, so I'd watch New Zealand, you know, Ian Foster and Sam Kane, exactly the same. Yeah, you, but like you said, it's so hard after the of game. Of course. Like, it's brutal. Of course. Um, but like, even yeah. before the game in the lead-up, like you're not going to say anything that's going to upset it. I was chatting to my mate about it. It's like, why don't they just go out there and just say, right, we've got Portugal <laughs> at the weekend. Like, we expect to be 50 points better than them. If we don't put 50 points on Portugal, there's an issue. And I said, yeah, but rugby's not like, it's not like that. Yeah. But then on the flip that's side so of it, I, but then really you, you look at other sports, it's like boxing and UFC, I'm going to knock him out. This guy's a fucking mug, and I'm gonna yeah. not. Oh, actually, this guy's a really good fighter, and he, you know, there's a chance I might lose this if if I if I'm not in the yeah. game. It's just all out as in complete. I know it's a completely different sport, but I don't know. I think it's we've gone down this rabbit hole now, haven't we? And Eddie Jones dug himself down that rabbit hole where he's offering people to uppercut themselves and and do not. He just throw ridiculous anecdotes. I just don't know what we're getting out there, but I think the honesty one is like leveling with people yeah. and trying to find that emotional level. But five minutes after a game is so difficult, so isn't it? Because yeah, and, and I don't envy anyone who's had, who's had to do it. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting now they're doing those um, at the end of half-time chats. I think, that's, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But I think you've got to pick the right person as well. Because, you've got to pick the right yeah, people. If, if you actually want to get something, but then make sure you can use it. I think there's a there's a, there's a a handful of people in every team that you, you, you'd want to pick. Yeah, it's a, it's a really hard position at the minute because we are in this weird place, aren't we? With Especially with the England team where... There is that narrative around it with everything that's happened that we're talking about, then moving forward. But you're still one of the best teams in the world. Like you made the semi final, mm. nearly beat, could have beat, should have beat South Africa yeah. and been in another final. 
and we're talking about the public trying to fall back yeah. in love. I, I think it was just a, a bit of an anomaly that that Fiji. We were training very hard, and I know, like we said it at the time, but with the training we were doing was there were big sessions, so we were playing. It almost felt body-wise we were playing like two, maybe three times a week, and that's not to say that we should have we shouldn't have played better and stuff. We definitely should have, and we didn't play well. Um, and you know, every game was slightly different. I mean, if you look at those warm-up games, we had the two games against Wales, one loss, one you know last-minute win against with twelve men, and then we played Ireland. Um, and you know, at the Aviva, it doesn't get much tougher than that. And then playing Fiji, that were that that were looking a really good side, and and you know, we we didn't play our best stuff. All of a sudden it changed the narrative of our team. So, um, so yeah, I think there's some, I think the way that we were managed physically was, was, was brilliant. It, it did maybe hold us back in the warm-up games, but it meant that we were, we were so ready for that first mm. game. Who was the hardest game? Where you were like, holy shit. I mean, even in the lead up, that Probably Fiji, that, that Fiji yeah. game looked absolutely insane where I was like, they were so on. Yeah. It was, they, they were, were, un, they, they were, were very, unplayable. They were very good. Um, I think the team, the, the one game I said was like, wow, was probably the Ireland game in Ireland. They mm. were very good. And I, I thought thought um, we actually weren't that far off it. And we had some opportunities to, to make it at least closer. And and they just they just blew us away with their, they're just so clinical. They were so clinical that, and that with with ball in hand and how they exited, how they got the ball back. I, I was um, That was a really good lesson for us as a team in terms of like, how simple we can make the game, how effective it can be when we all do our do our individual roles really, really well. And my mate was saying when we were talking, I think Leinster played Gloucester and we were almost laughing about it. And I was like, how physical? And he said it wasn't the physicality. He said, yes, they're physical. The likes of Doris, Josh van der Fleer, yeah, the animals, yeah. Sheehan, Porter, yeah. Furlong, Tyburn, they've got world-class players. He said it was the speed. Mm. He just said the speed, it was just like you you, you couldn't even process how quick yeah. Ireland were. Is that, the, is that the level of, like, when you're out there as a player, is it like, again, Fiji have that kind of speed yeah. when they play, but what is it that really makes a difference from, like, a world-class team to the best team? Good question. I think I think every team nowadays is good defensively, uh, and most teams have good maul, most teams have good scrum. Although, you know, some are obviously better than others. I think attack is obviously the bit that separates and I think attack takes the longest to, to get right. And obviously Ireland Irish players are on the whole very lucky they get to play with each other for almost the whole year before they play for Ireland. Yeah, speed speed but clarity. I think it's the more simple you can keep we're all, we're pretty rugby players are pretty simple beings. So the more simple you can keep individual roles and I mean that's where Steve's brilliant. Steve will tell you exactly what he wants from you in almost every facet of the game and you know, for a, for a Carl Sinclair, he'll be saying, "I just want you to get us go forward ball. You know, I want to maybe get set piece dominance." And then all of a sudden, my mind's focused on just those two things rather than thinking about the thousand things mm. that are going to go on the game. And uh, I think that's where Steve got the best out of a lot of us was was keeping it really simple. And I think that's where England are probably going to develop. Um, we're going to bring more speed into our attack. Obviously, Wiggy was brilliant in the in the in the World Cup, and and you know we've got a lot of work to do. But he, um, we saw some early signs of of us getting a lot better in that. Yeah, we. You've got to think how tough it was. This is me speaking for you as a team, a new coaching team going into yeah. a World Cup. You think of all the other teams. I don't know if there was any team that had the changes no, that, sure. that, that not, you I, had. I can't think of one. In yeah. the leader, we think of all the big teams. So France, Gautier was on a four-year cycle. Yeah. South Africa is what South Africa is. Foster's been there for a long time. Yeah. I know Australia, but they they weren't in the mix. Gatlin was back from a Welsh yeah. perspective. Fiji had a, a settled team and a yeah. group of players. Like you had a completely new 
backroom staff. Wiggy just came into the mix. And I suppose, and again, I was having this conversation with a few mates when we were watching it around the kicking. And I was like, look, I was at Saracens where we started that kick and then they added layers of attack. Yeah. You look at Leicester, how they won the premiership. There's a science behind it. They're not just kicking the ball no. for that. I mean, maybe just as a player in in that conversation where you're at Saracens now playing this unbelievable brand of rugby, but being yeah. in the England team where there was this... Not a frust- well, there was a bit of frustration with the yeah. crowd when there was a, a lot of kicking. Just the reason why teams kick yeah. so much. Yeah, there's a, there's like apparently there's a data algorithm that shows that the team with the longest kick meter, kick the most meters in a game, tends to tends to win. Has a, like an 90 percent chance. I don't know. Obviously, as a as a rugby player, it's easy to explain why that would be the case. But basically, you, you just keep you keep putting pressure on the opposition until you they kick it off you get a set piece or you win the ball back in the air um i think before going into the world cup the team with the longest kick meter was france and to think that was the case you know and you initially think french rugby flair amazing players dupont and Tamac, these massive ball carriers but actually they would kick the longest and 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 the most in in any game so it's it's an algorithm that that is the case um and it's about pressure and a lot of we we were physically conditioned to play that game like kick long back long duels staying in it staying in it and then pulling the trigger at the right moment whereas other teams might get bored um certainly we felt against the Fijian team they would they wouldn't be able to outlast us in a kicking duel they would and when we say breaking a kicking duel would probably be running it back or kicking a bag kick back um and that would be the time where we'd be able to dominate them with our defence or our counter attack but they kicked well actually against they would they, they'd improved no, massively exactly. that was they're, a they're now no longer you know, there was always a there was always a, probably a feeling around Fijian teams and and most of the island teams would be like you'd be really up against it for about half an hour and then you'd grind them down. That's no longer the mm. case. I mean, we played Samoa in in the group stage. I mean, you look at that team sheet now; that is amazing, an yeah. amazing team sheet. So, yeah, I think it's great that rugby's realizing the the importance of of the of the island teams and and will be better for it. And hopefully there's more of an understanding of the strategy. I think people want blood. They want offloading. They want the speed, which I understand there's an excitement around that. But I'm a purist. I love scrum. I love line-out. I love the kicking contest. like a tactical element to the game, which is which is, I think is great. And yeah, you see, for example, you see like, we actually talk a lot about, we had Vincent Company in in the preseason with England. He was talking a lot about how Pep, Pep would have his stuff and talking about pressure and, Sometimes pressure is just keeping the ball where you can. So for Pep, it was about like moving the ball, but not always being like that incisive, trying to get into the box. It'd be just like trying to get them to come to you, which I think is really interesting. Sometimes by just kicking the ball back, you actually just keep putting pressure on on the opposition, which is which is you know it, again, it's not always the most interesting, but then it it opens itself up to opportunities later on in the game. Yeah, and that's why I knew in that semi final against South Africa, I looked at the conditions. And people were like, oh, England are going to get monstered yeah. it. And I said, I'm telling you now, I said, the way that England play, and I saw snippets in that game against Ireland in the Six Nations yeah. where Freddie went off yeah, for yeah, yeah. that ridiculous red card, that I knew that you would trouble South Africa. Like, what was it like being in that game Because when no one gave you a chance? Yeah. I know you didn't win it, so we're not sat here saying, oh, no, yeah. the last 15 minutes, was it was a mental, mental finish. But what was it like being in that it game was, against... It's probably still my... my most favourite game I've mm. ever played, and and that's that's ironic because obviously we lost. But I think what what was great was that everything we prepared for in that week 
we did in terms of mentally and physically. That was the most physical performance I, I can I can remember. I was certainly playing for England, um, the England teams I've played in. That was the most physical team I've played in. Um, and then also playing playing the people that I'd like looked up to and playing Dwayne Vermeulen. I used to watch his highlights, and I think mm. that's that's really cool. And I've not had many opportunities where I've been able to do that. So to have share a beer with him after the game and and to swap shirts, that was a pretty cool moment. And yeah, like you say. I think on the whole, we were really pleased with opportunities. We remember reviewing that game. Well, I say reviewing, we kind of brushed over it pretty quickly because we obviously had the bronze playoff, but we had one line out and I think it was in the second half, I think. And we either threw a not straight or got turned over on, on their five metre. And if we'd have just come away with something in that, at that moment, it could have been a lot different. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I, that team was a young team. We've learned a lot from that. The likes of George Martin. I mean, how good was he that game? But I knew who I, yeah. talking of watching young lads, I did a, a doc with the Leicester Academy. Right. Um, with Jack Van Poorfleet was in the team, yeah, Freddie yeah. Stewart. And they were like, oh, which one? I said, this George Martin. He had a beard at the age of 16, 17. Yeah. I said... His athleticism, his tackling ability, yeah. which has obviously now come to the fore, his body positions when hitting another human. Yeah. I was like, this lad's going all the way. Yeah, exactly. He was, I don't know why they brought him off. I mean, again, there'll be a reason for that. He yeah. was absolutely yeah, they were, immense he was brilliant. against then, the biggest yeah. opposition on the planet. Yeah. Did and it feel like that or not when you were playing? Because you were so dominant physically in the collisions, in the breakdowns. Definitely. I think it was like, it was like okay, this is, this is going well. But I, I, I then I, I reflecting looking on our team like we weren't small and that mm. was that was like like the likes of Joe Marler, Dan Cole, Jamie George. That's like the biggest know-how front row I think you can have around nowadays. And they were brilliant. Um, and then having the likes of Courtney, Tom Curry. You know he's played fifty games for his country at twenty five. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's only gonna those games are only gonna stand that team in good stead. That's what I mean. You look at the time. players you've got. You actually start name dropping the players. And I think this is the expectation from England fans, maybe, that they want it now. Because yeah. you think of the World Cup, 2019, finalist, 07, yeah. finalist, 03, won it, like consistently one of the best yeah. teams out there. And the quality, like mm. you lads are going to be all right, you know, yeah, once, exactly. once you get it right. And Steve, and Steve's brilliant. Steve's going to be brilliant for us. And he's very level in terms of his messaging and, and making sure that um, making sure that we're, we're keeping our feet on the ground and, and, and also where the team can get better. Mm. And um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting time, hopefully. Yeah, my mate Deeks was at Leicester with Steve yeah, and yeah. said he is all in on the players, as in you are number one. No, which is a weird thing to say, because but not all coaches. It is like Eddie Jones. It's, he's the number one and his mates around him, it seems like that's what it is. But everything that he said about Steve, like as in they'd be in a meeting at half seven in the morning, and a player would just kind of look at, and Steve would be up out the, out the, making sure that the players have absolutely everything they need. Because as much as he doesn't give to the media, apparently he gives everything. Oh yeah, he's brilliant, and uh, his passion and his messaging, and yeah, the way he is around everyone is 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 amazing. The environment was was I couldn't tell how enjoyable it was being in that World Cup. It was it was really like a cliche say but like a band of brothers. Like mm. we spent a lot of time together. There was not there was not cliques it was not it was just everyone was just mucking in and it was brilliant um yeah like i said made made friends for life even danny care a good mate of mine now and <laughs> never thought i'd say that um, that's because he's a harlequin that's <laughs> exactly, why. yeah so yeah so um so yeah exactly and that's testament to the work that steve did yeah so what number did you have on in that semi were you wearing I was, eight i was eight you yeah were so eight. i was eight i think i was eight every every game i think near i'm trying to think oh no uh, we played when we played japan 
think I was seven. What's your favourite number on your back? I honestly don't mind. It, Come did, on, give it me didn't one. make too much of a difference. I, I, if you had I, to be buried I, in I grew, a shirt, I what grew number? Into, I grew into number eight. I did really enjoy it. Mm. I did. And I played eight a lot when I was younger. And then obviously didn't grow from when I was like 11. So then ended up becoming a bit more of a seven. But I did really enjoy number eight. So, so. if you had to be buried in the shirt, you'd want the eight on the back or the seven? Or does it depend how the years unfold? Depend how the years unfold. Give me, give me, give me a couple more years to work that out. Yeah, because I... Played four and five. Five was the money maker because you called the line out. But is that right? Is that, I didn't know that. I've yeah. That today. Okay. Yeah. So five's like the line. Well, no, it's changed now. Okay. But back in the day, back in the day, five called four was four tight was tight. But I was both. So I would, I would scrimmage <laughs> on the tight head side, right? And then call and the then line Cruzo out. And Cruzo came along. And Cruzo came along and just did everything. <laughs> oh, he's lost a load of weight now, hasn't he? He's great. He's he's looking. He came in. George Cruz yeah. came in, didn't he? Yeah. So he was doing like a line out consultant role, and he was. Um, it was brilliant. And Wiggy would tell a great story if you ever speak to him about it. So the, we have a, we had a sauna and that was a great sauna culture in camp. And it was kind of like a, that was called the 845 club. So it was 845 at night, a nice, dark. You'd be in the sauna, it'd be like fire lit. In the, mm. So it's real peaceful and nice. Anyway, the coaches are like, they love it. They're dying to get in there, but they've just got a load of work to do and preparation and stuff for training the next day. Anyway, Cruzo swans in on the first day and, and is, is in there with the boys. He walks into the coach's office and sees Wiggy and obviously knows Wiggy very well. He says, have you been in that sauna yet? Wiggy's like, no, we've been here for three months. Still haven't been in it, man. You've been here for five minutes. Yeah. You've been in. And I think, yeah, Cruzo's like a good, he was a good link for like the coaches and the and the boys. And obviously his line-out knowledge is, is second to no one. He's, oh, he's a brilliant. Exactly. Um, and some of the plans he came up with, certainly against Africa, actually, some of the best stuff we, we did, certainly in defensively, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's testament to his coaching. Yeah, it's great that Steve would bring someone like that in as well, which is his area. But yeah. I go back to it, I'd be buried in the number four jersey. Number four. Yeah, like Martin Johnson. Yeah. Like that. Some good pedigree. Yeah, do you know what I mean? As yeah. in, I know it'd be a, a Scotland shirt, so it's not Martin say, Johnson. I was going to say, you really I remember who was wearing number four before me. <laughs> Scott Murray wore five. Doddy Weir wore five as well. Number four for me, but you're okay. you're buried in eight or seven. Leave it you with me. Seven. Can I have a slash? In the I middle? know it's a seven. I know. Is there, <laughs> there's not much difference now. Not is there? not anymore. Especially no. not with like how interchangeable players are. Like the, the Courtney is like a six could play in the second row, could play in the backs for all mm. for all even. Like Tom Curry could play seven, eight, six. Um, yeah, every player is slightly different. Like you got Billy in the second row for Saris the other week. Yeah, he loved uh, that. Yeah, I bet he did. Um, it... And the props love that as well. Actually, they think yeah. he was brilliant. So, um, so yeah, no, I think it's, everyone's just a little bit more interchangeable. It's about hopefully getting your your, your best players on the pitch and and you know performing in that regard. Who does Ben Earl see as the best player at the minute? Ali Surveyor, World Player of the Year. Mm. Peter Steph Toy was unbelievable. Like you'd be up near a World Fifteen as well. So you're well. Who, who, Measured do, who to do speak I think is who, who's the one? Who's I'm going like, to say I'm going to say the best player I've played against mm. um, is Bottia, Levani Bottia. He is incredible, and and I just he can't, there's nothing he can't do, and I think he's an amazing player. Like, obviously, I've not played against New Zealand before, but everyone says Surveyor, the Barrett, the Barrett twins are excellent. But the best player I've played against, I think now would be Bottia. Um, when I played him at La Rochelle, he was brilliant, and then reaffirmed his excellence when we played him in the in the quarters. Yeah. It's just he's made of nails. If he's anywhere near a breakdown, it's it's over. It's a turnover. Mm. Um, and and he's so good, you have to make plans for him. And I think that's a testament of a, of a really good player. Is you you make a plan to counteract what they're really good at. And we spent a lot of time that week. I remember talking about Bottier and saying his name and training and stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he'd he'd certainly be up there for me. Hayden Smith tells a funny story about me when Scotland played the US. Right. So uh, he had to wear my 
at like my jersey, my name on his back or whatever. I was the bib. So I'm thinking, fucking hell, mate. Is that like, as in they saw me as like Scotland's best player? I don't know. It was the liability. So it was right. like, as in run at him, run at him. He can't find defend. Him, find him. Yeah. He's going to give a penalty away at the breakdown. But no, Levani Bottier, unbelievable. Um, when you said people talk about Ardi Surveyor and the Barrett yeah. brothers, who was yeah. who, everybody? The the Farrells of the world would say Surveyor um, would be up there. Someone I think actually doesn't get a lot a lot of applause. Uh, De Lande, the twelve. I thought he was he was brilliant that whole tournament. There was brilliant against us, really. Um, yeah, I thought he was he was mega. He he had a real intensity to him. I I was like, it took me back. I was like, well, that's, mm. that's intense. I think that's again rugby's more as much physical, technical as as mental. And there's you know you can have different facets to to your game. So I think he's certainly up there as well. Yeah, because when people ask you, it's the old saying when you go to one of these dinners and they're like, oh, who's the best player you yeah. played against or you played with? It feels like there's a, a shift now because Levani Bottia, as much as, yes, he co- probably could run over a lot of people, but he's not. that's not his no. super skill, is it, of running over people. It's the, the breakdown. It's the kind of dark arts. Yeah. It's that kind of niggly yeah. style player that is constantly, constantly on the go. And Ronan O'Gara said the same. He said he's the best player he's ever coached. Yeah. In I the Valley Bottier, yeah, which I, is massive, isn't it? You awesome, think of Fijian, yeah. I don't know how old he is, he could be 50, but he's... It doesn't matter. He no. looks great. He's moving well, so... Yeah. Um, I like that little thing in that game where they're like, they, they, him and Curry, like, you could see that Bottier was about to swing and I thought, yeah, yeah. I actually wouldn't mind watching that because they're both pretty freakish physically and I was, I think I remember standing back and being like, oh, this could be fun. Yeah. Let's see what happens there. Before we go, just like the England fans that are listening and there'll be a decent demographic there'll be some Scotland fans as well so well, they'll, they'll fall, fall yeah. in love with Ben Earl but you need them right you need your fans yeah, Like you, you need them to follow you you need them to understand the process that you're going through mm. but I think as a team there's an expectation isn't there that they think England should be winning a Grand Slam next year or that you should be winning a World Cup but it's a difficult being in England I can say this on the other side now being a Scot people don't like England they don't like you mm. whatever reason that yeah. is I think it's a historic thing just don't like English people, maybe. That's what it yeah. is. I do. I'm a quarter English, sit here with a North Hebridean accent. I love England. Like, I do. Yeah. Like, I, I love you. I love you lads. I love Saracens. I love Leicester that I play for. Yeah. I love Gloucester. But it almost feels like there's maybe a, 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 a rejig, a reshuffle of fans falling in love with this England team. Well, I think, I think touching on that, I think everyone brings their best game against England. And I think that's testament to some of the successes the team has had over the years. Um, in terms of the fans, the best, I'm, I'm not that emotional around playing and um, stuff, but I remember whenever I'm at Twickenham and hear the, the anthem, you can't help but bring a little tear to your eye. And I think that's testament to the, the fans that are there in terms of, where England's going over the next couple of years, I think you've got some really exciting players to get behind. Uh, Marcus Smith, obviously, on Friday was 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 mega. Freddie Stewart looks like he's playing some of the best rugby of his life. And then you've got some young players that are coming out, coming through. Chandler Cunningham South looks like a really, really good player. I think it's going to be a really exciting time to be an England fan and some players that are going to open themselves up a little bit more socially to, to make sure that you guys get the best insight as well as you know keep performing well because at the end of the day we can we can do all the we can do all the podcasts you can do all the inside lines but we've got to keep playing well and and that that we will promise to do I think yeah and also picking the best players I don't know whether you've got an opinion on players like Henry Arundel playing in Racing yeah Lewis Ludlum's now off to Toulon. Apparently, I th- yeah. I think, apparently so, I think yeah. he's signed for there. You've got Jack Willis over in Toulouse, yeah. I think, is re signed to take yeah. him out of that. 
like the conversations within camp because it is in a weird position at the minute, isn't it? Where yeah. if you're on a club, like say you're at Newcastle, I know there's no England players at Newcastle at the minute or the, immediately in the squad, but the opportunity to go and make double the money, but you're going to miss out on your England spot. Do you have an opinion as that as a player? You don't I, have I, to, I think. But- I think. Firstly, it's player by player basis. I don't think you can compare a Henry Arundel to a to a Lewis Ludlam move. I don't think you compare and, and a Dave Ribbons move and or. Um, Joe Marchant a, a yeah, there's of, a few there's a lot actually, of these guys named a couple more exactly. so a lot of players and a lot of these guys sign when they're not involved with England and that's probably where it gets a little bit tricky um, and that will, probably won't happen now for a long time because Steve you know Steve will hopefully be consistent with, with what he's doing in that regard in terms of telling players and that you're going to be in my plans and whatever and, and staying put but I think the best players, we want the best players playing the Premiership first and foremost. Now, if they want to go to France, I think that's the, the price you play by going to France is you rescind your, your England career. So, um, but look, I don't I don't think you can judge any player. I think the experience, every person I've known that's gone to play in France says it's an amazing experience mm. um, and, you know, loved it. And so I don't think you can frown at anyone who's done it. I think it's... If it's not for you, um, then yeah, fair enough. And if you want to go and do it, then again, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's right that the best players play in the Premiership. Yeah, oh, you do think that? I do. Yeah, I think you you can only pick players that play in your league. I think otherwise, you, the league loses all its value. From someone who's obviously playing in the league. So no, mate, that's great. The, that's that, the, that's a, a really interesting take yeah. on it, mate. You know, we're well, outside looking hopefully in. Hopefully, with with with. Obviously, there's rumours about central contracting and stuff. I, I don't know a thing about that, and I'm sure that will that will come clear in, in the coming weeks and months. But that's only going to encourage players to, to stay around more. And, and I, I want to see the Premiership do really well. I think the product's brilliant. I think um, the competitiveness of the games is, is crazy, and, and the upsets that are happening. Um, you know, you've got you've got Quinns beating Sale, you've got Bristol beating Gloucester, then you've got Northampton beating Saris. I think there's like. You could have all three of those results could be the other way around and you won't be shocked. And I think that's a testament of a good league. The game's never been better. No. I'm watching these games, I'm watching you athletes go at it, and the level of skill, talent, athleticism, power, yeah, yeah. speed is like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, exactly. And and like the, the people need I say people, as in the outside need to start kind of seeing that, respecting that and understanding what you put your bodies through. Yeah. It's absolutely class. Exactly. Benno, that was absolutely amazing, mate. Thank you. Thank good you luck very much. for the Injury, so you're not that far away. It was medial, was it? In yeah, medial warm-up? meniscus. So hopefully, just after Christmas, and then Saracens, and then into Six Fingers Nations. Crossed. Fingers crossed, it all goes well. Let's, let's see. It will. Been class to have you. Thank Thanks, you very buddy. much. Cheers, mate. Appreciate Thanks, it. Mate. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.